0: Welcome back, screamers, and welcome back to another episode full of hot takes and astute observations.
1: <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I didn't agree to any of that. <laughs>
0: I, I thought it was sort of an unwritten
1: rule that we would have. <laughs> maybe, I should, maybe
0: I should have said obtuse observations. Right. Um, but I thought it was close enough. I wanted to give us a little credit with the astuteness and the hot takes of nonsense, right? Um, <laughs> anyway, so today we're going to be diving into the world of Satoshi Kon uh, by talking about the director's four films, Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress, Tokyo Godfathers, and Paprika – Khan died in 2010 of pancreatic cancer, a short but impactful life that has left a lasting legacy. Before we get into that, Jason, what is happening? <laughs> just in, in general, <laughs> besides <laughs> the vending machine just Right, like yeah, the vending machine outside was to not, engage in capitalism.
2: It's is just not giving me water for some reason. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, life has been life. I we so we were talking uh, we went, I went to see the violent Fems over the past weekend and the opener, I don't want to, let me just, I, I don't look up who it is. Like, I don't want to, b- because gotcha. he wasn't good. Um, <laughs> he sounded like, uh, Tom Waits wannabe, he wasn't terrible, but it was one of the ones that like, it's, it was a surprising opener. Like normally you either get a regional person who's pretty good or if this guy's touring with them, I'm just like, man, this guy's, it's, it's going to be, a, I mean, I don't know. It's fine. I'm sure. Well, was it just well. one person? It was just a dude. Uh, you know, oh. they're guitaring it up, and 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 like I said, he d- it just was just like, okay, well, you sound like you want to be kind of a George George Thorogood slash Tom Waits like mix somehow. But that's it's that's just, an odd, I odd mix. Bit, yeah, too. it is. It is. And uh, yeah, he just was with to, a little yeah. like Georgia satellites <laughs> thrown in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some down home real country <laughs> jazz. Whatever. Some real
0: real country. This <laughs> is real country jazz. That's Kid Rock's next album.
2: But then I saw um, The Cure, which I've been going. this has been a weird, like, I mean, it's been like a lot of concerts going on right mm-hmm. now, and they there was a band from Scotland called the Twisted Sad. I hope I'm getting that name right, and they were amazing. They were really, really good. Well, was
0: it wasn't not the Twilight Sad? The Twilight Sad. Yeah. thank you. Yeah, yes. yeah the Twilight
2: Sad. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, they were. I'd never um, heard of them before. They were yeah. really, really good. Yeah, they've though.
0: been around for a for a while. In fact, I think it's one of the guys from Slow Dive. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think the bass player. I, and I could be wrong, but okay. um,
2: because he's Scottish, so. I yeah, he so. was very very Scottish. I mean, it sounded like <laughs> when he talked and when he wasn't singing, it sounded like Shrek was up there talking about it <laughs> and how, how happy they would be.
1: Yeah, yeah it was funny because good.
2: like Robert Smith was like, "It's hot here," and I'm like, "It's fucking eighty. Like it's not. You're fine, dude." And it's like, I know you're old, but seriously, you're fine. I will say I've never but, seen Starplex that packed. I mean that's not Starplex uh, anymore. It's Dos Equis pavilion or whatever the fuck it but when I mean, you know the the true OGs of Dallas concert going no to Starplex. I had never seen the, the lawn that packed ever. It was crazy. We were, like, all the way to the I mean, we kind of wanted to be, but, like, yeah. just so we can get in and out. But it was nuts. I mean, 20,000 people that were there.
0: Was, and that, that, you just showed your age, one, by going to see the cure <laughs> and saying, we sat near the back so we could get in and out easier.
2: <laughs> just to tell you, like, here's the
0: priorities. Right. 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 Like, you we know, like to traffic. Like? Right. <laughs> um, no, when, so I grew up in Indiana and there was a concert venue, the, the big kind of concert venue there. We grew up calling it Deer Creek. And it was like, that, it had sort of the covered pavilion and the the lawn, um, and it's changed names like I don't know how many times, right? Depending right. on the sponsor, but we still call it Deer Creek. And so like if you say that, people know what you're, ta- what you're talking about. Oh, you mean Klipsch Pavilion? No, I mean, I mean <laughs> Deer Creek. <laughs> we're not calling it that, all right? Yeah. That's not what we're doing. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's, like, hipster of us or just...
2: It's a refusal to I- accept the corporate overlords. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, fuck capitalism, right? I mean, yeah. So, and we can't talk about everything just because... But there's been, there's been a decent uh, amount of, like, indie films that have come out that have been interesting. And we'll talk about it in future episodes. But, dive, you know, outside of diving into Khan um, and Star Wars, uh, that I've been... Dabbling around so it's, you know, it's been fine. We keep him busy. You know, okay. It's cool. uh, well, you? You I, I I worry that you're not
0: No, I I'm fine look I uh, Summer vacation has started and uh, I have taken a nap every day this week Nice. Um, yeah, so so kind of a week of decompressing um, Reading books watching movies and playing with my dog
2: as we get further and further into this collapsing Capitalistic society that we have that's, that's gonna crush itself under its own. Weight, it's gonna eat itself Yeah, which I got on the way over here a text you know, a, a news alert that was saying that scientists think that New York is sinking because of all the weight of its skyscrapers. And I'm like, well, OK, that's a thing that's happening now, too. Then I guess. Right. But is that even surprising? <laughs> no, no, no. It sounds plausible. I, I mean, you would think that you would have noticed it before. Now, I don't think there was like it's not like there was a tipping point of like, oh, well, shit, we added this one. And then that was it. Just, <laughs> you, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh carry all the fucking the basket tips out and <laughs> all, everything goes into the an, sea.
0: Another interesting story about New York this morning and about other coastal cities. And I know we're not a political podcast, whatever, <laughs> but we say enough you know, bullshit on here that, you know, and sometimes I think we might our as well. Greta
2: Thunberg. Right, right.
0: I was going to try and do an impression of a Swedish you know, like, DNA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but they were, uh, the, the Times had a report on the number of college degree earners that were leaving major cities. And they're not being replaced, and so I think there's something like on average two hundred thousand, you know, college degree earners are leaving New York, and only a hundred thousand are coming in, and so there's this deficit with these these kind of major coastal cities because everything is too fucking expensive. Right. So right. when you have, even if you have these degrees that we're all told we must have, right, or or will never amount to anything, <laughs> you still can't live in a lot of these places, and so I mean, like you said, it's just the system's going to eat itself, and. um But we're glad you're listening. Yeah. But this is also, look, notice there are no ads on this podcast. Right? I do want to thank um, Apple for this. And Goop. And Goop. That's right. I guess Goop is the one sponsor uh, that we we have. Okay. All right.
2: right. Like like we've said before, uh, we record this while having vaginal eggs inside of us. So it's always having vaginal eggs inside of us. (laughs) Oh, um. I don't even know what I would do if I didn't have a vaginal egg inside me. Like at this point, I'm more vaginal egg than human. It's just I am just. I, I, I feel like I get up in the morning and brush my teeth, insert my vaginal egg. This is a this is a weird endorsement for Kegel exercises. I don't know. <laughs> uh.
1: whenever,
2: whenever I'm not talking, listener, I'm squeezing. <laughs> So anime. Uh, so so
0: okay. So I wanna. I, this is yes. I wanna. St- I wanna start with this question. <laughs> um, well, let me hear. What just, is anime? Just a, just a brief. A brief spot on, on on Khan. Along with these four films we're gonna to discuss today, he also did, he was also a manga artist, I mm-hmm. believe. And he also did a 13-episode TV series called Paranoia Agent, which I looked for but wasn't able to find. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I was going to watch it and then I
2: ran out of time. Okay. So.
0: Yeah. Like all of these films share in some way, I think really similar themes of 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 the gays, so female, male, and also a sort of bisexual gaze, a theme of performance. Identity, identification, imagination, reality, um, this idea of perception. And then there's a lot of these like relevant sort of social issues underneath. If that wasn't enough, (laughs) there are relevant social issues in these films as well. Um, Not just in Cone's native Japan, but issues that we see here um, in the U.S. So homelessness, abandonment, celebrity, misogyny, and trauma, which seems kind of ever-present in all the films
2: yeah, no, I don't. That, when I was watching these and then reading up about Con and just kind of reading um, theses and, and 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 articles about his work, uh, I it was just like we're not going to be able to cover everything. Oh, no. in, and and so the reason that we're talking about Con today as opposed to D, D-, D- O Double um, <laughs> David, David Gordon Green. Is that we showed Paprika at the um, Fort Worth Film Club. Uh, so uh, we just recently had a screening. It was a great turnout. We had a great conversation afterwards. And that's what we do. We will cover the the films of the Fort Worth Film Club at their screening. So uh, that was a lot of fun and was good to see it. It's a, it's a cool movie to see on a big screen. Mm-hmm. But that's the reason we're diving into his work. Normally I would say let's do this one film at a time. Because almost it's, it's really, they're so dense. The themes are so I mean like they said There's so much to talk about That we won't even come close no, To doing it justice In no. the um, number of hours We have no. today but,
0: but I mean I don't. I think that's That's on brand for us
2: <laughs> Right And we'll forget things That we should have talked about and, Yeah
0: And like like tomorrow I'll be like Oh I should have said this <laughs> Or why did I say that
2: But who gives a shit <laughs> Why did I spend so much time Talking about vaginal eggs When so- I come <laughs> <and talking> about <laughs> Right <laughs> Right So
0: this question As you said So anime That's my question to you Look I have virtually No relationship with anime and I'm okay with that. It's never been a thing that has caught my attention. Although I did, spoiler, really enjoy these four films. But I'm curious what your kind of relationship with anime is and how do you approach it?
2: I'm, I am a fan of, let me just say this, adult animation. I do like okay. when it's done well. I, I do, um, but I will say that I am not the biggest, I, I don't have the biggest knowledge of anime. I know people who are, that are dyed in the wool, and They they live and breathe it. To me, it's kind of daunting just because it's there's so much content out there. To me, it's kind of like trying to get into comic books as an adult because there's you need to know. It's hard to know which ones you should read, which ones you should avoid, you know, where you should start, you know, what you can skip, that kind of thing. You know, if I'm getting into, neo, you know, there's other things that, um, that, you know, any one of these, they've there's 20 different seasons. And they just, it's like so, so the entry point to a lot of this seems daunting. And then I because I didn't really grow up with it. Um, like the Pokemon, Yu Gi Oh, Power Ranger stuff was a generation beyond me. So I would have already been in high school by that time. So I didn't kind of grow up in this Dragon Ball Z era where, I, where it was kind of beloved to me, and so it kind of passed me over. Now I did come back around. I mean, I was like I said, we talked about before. I was a big J Horror fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, so there's a lot of Japanese influences that I watch, and I. But I just but this was one of those ones that again once it um, I've you know dabbled here and there. And like you said, I, I I loved all four of these films. But it's not something that I, I need it to be specific and I need it to be something that I know that I'm not necessarily that I don't know that I'm gonna like, but I know that I'm not gonna have to spend thirty six hours to try to find and take it all in.
0: Right, right. And and maybe this is stereotypical, maybe not. I, I again I don't really know, but but the brief dalliance with other anime I've had is those other anime features are more fantasy based, more sci-fi based. The drawing is even different than these. and I think that's something that puts me off too so I'm not a big not a huge sci-fi fantasy um right. fan. i mean i will I will watch most of the live action stuff just to watch it, but I, I you know tune a lot of it out and and these were very much not that. I mean they were much more cinematic I think in in their approach.
2: Yeah, and I will say, I mean like you know how you want to classify or what you want to classify um as anime if you want to classify things like Totoro or the Wind right? I mean like those the Ghibli films, I don't necessarily know if they would go hardcore in, into the kaiju punching, you know, robots and uh whatever else. And I, I not to not to denigrate any of it, but again, like you said the sci-fi aspect of it all. Again, that requires a little bit of more commitment than than just watching a two-hour film so, yeah so that end like i said i'm more than open to watch more like i said i really liked these um I, i'm a rudimentary fan of kira and, and a couple of other things that are kind of like the seminal works of anime but um but yeah i'm not like i'm not uh i don't have any tattoos or or i'm not going um you know I don't have any cosplay options and, for and, anime. And thankfully,
0: you didn't look at me like I had two heads when I said I'm not a big anime fan, <laughs> which is something else. And again, like not to like start a fight with like anime fanboys, but I have noticed it when I'm like oh, I'm not a big anime fan. People look at me with almost this like look of disdain. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, I have other things to do. <laughs> right. I don't. Right. I mean, that. I, I, but I think I mean I, I. We kind of talked about this on the last episode where. There is a level of fandom, I think, with some of this that that you see in in things like Star Wars and and, and Marvel and DC, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah, I think that it, I think it's it's it just feels like, and I like I said, I could be wrong, but that when you talk to someone who is an anime fan who is a self proclaimed anime fan, that that is the primary source of entertainment that they're getting. Right? Mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. you know they are consuming manga, they're consuming anime shows, and um, you know they're arguing that. Netflix fucked up Death Note and that type of, you know, it's just that, you know, it's so it's, or Ghost in the, you know, the live action Ghost in the Shell was bullshit or, you yeah, know, whatever. Or the, so, or
0: the live action Cowboy Bebop. I mean, all that stuff, I mean, look, right. whatever. I mean, right. they, they, they can be bad shows and that's fine, but <laughs> like, I mean.
2: Which, and again, I don't have any problem with that, that being the case. It's like I said, but I do think there needs to be a little bit of recognition. And I think, it, like, it's one thing to be... Um, I think Star Wars is one of those things because, again, everyone everyone kind of United States wise knows Star Wars, right? And it's kind of it's it's gone beyond that. So it's easy to kind of be a casual person and and still talk about right. certain to certain aspects of it. It's very to me. It's very difficult to be also because it's again it's not English language. So it, this is not something you can just passively kind of let wash over you. You I mean you have to be engaged, right? So it's it's. Um, yeah,
0: there's a level of engagement, level of, uh, a level of attention and intention right, that you that you have to possess watching these films. I mean, because they're—and especially these four, I think—I Um, I mean, because I—like I said, I haven't watched a lot of other ones. But, but <laughs> right. yeah, there's so much going on, dialogue and visually, that, yeah, you know, you, you really have to sort of dial in.
2: My inherent nature to want to please everybody and kind of also seem cool to everyone makes me also—like, I would kind of— given an infinite amount of time, and an infinite amount of you know ability to watch. I probably wouldn't watch yeah. a lot of anime. It's you're also a, a completist, right? Yes, you know. And, that's and, the problem and, too. and
0: there's where the two of us differ. Where where you know what? I will not watch the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. <laughs> where where you're like, oh, I have yeah. to, I, I have to finish this. And I'm just like, hmm, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> but we had you know, we had a conversation about that uh, you know, earlier about how I I can put things down. And just be like, nope. This is this is not good or not for me, and then and leave it and and be okay with that.
2: Yeah, it's very difficult for me. Yeah, it's it's that thing where it's just like I, I one I kind of hope things always kind of turn and, and they pull themselves out even when I know they're not going to. Right. And then two, it's I don't know. I've walked out of I've only walked out of one movie, and that was a Tom Twyker perfume movie, which actually everyone says was really good, but it, for whatever reason, no, it, it lost wasn't. Me. It wasn't. It, it, lost it wasn't. Me. And I and I really want to be a Twiker fan.
0: Um, what was the one with Clive Owen that he did?
2: Mm, what was that one
0: called
2: um i always lose it i mean yeah but that that was not good that was not
0: good either i mean look i mean did he do anything good besides running a little run run.
2: that was it i need to go back and look at his filmography i haven't Mm -hmm. haven't visited i I,
0: I can tell you that no (laughs) no no but also like i i back to what you said i don't if people don't think i'm cool That's their problem. That is a a them problem, not a me problem. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, therapy's expensive, Rock. I mean, so it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I adopt this attitude, because I can't afford it. All
2: right. You
0: want to talk about Perfect Blue? Yeah, let's talk. Okay. Um, Before we dive into this, I would like to call attention to the work of scholar Susan Napier, especially her essay, Excuse Me, Who Are You? Um, in the book, Cinema, Anime, Critical Engagement with Japanese Animation. Um, is really informative, really smart um, look at three of these films. She didn't include Paprika, but she did include the other two. Mainly focused on Perfect Blue, but um, but also this.
2: Yeah, I think what happened is one, like he took, Paranoia Agent comes out between Tokyo Godfathers and Paprika. So there was a lot of ideas that he had that he'd, couldn't formulate into full stories that ended up being paranoia agents. So I think there was a lot of work being done and talking about him after after the after Perfect Blue mm. kind of kind of it, I would I hesitate to say that any of these like shot onto the scene, but he was definitely a voice. I mean he never made a whole lot of I mean, his movies never made a ton of money. They were never really all that well distributed over here in the United States. Um, you know, G kids would pick them up for distribution right. and things like that, but it, but they never played past an Angelica or, you know, our art house films. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that you kind of had to be in the know to in the, in the U S to kind of, and like afterwards, 10 years later, these movies were starting to get accolades and recognition and con and was as well. And that kind of falls in line with, I guess what Paprika was 2007. Right. So he has started to, he started to get, he was a decade in between perfect blue right. and, 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 uh, Paprika his last film.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay, brief synopsis? Yeah Okay, Mima was a pop idol worshipped by the masses Until fashion dictated otherwise In order to salvage her career She's advised to drop music and pursue acting A soap opera role is offered But Mima's character is less clean cut than desired Mima will need to perform in a rape scene Regardless, she agrees And and events take a turn for the worse As the scene induces trauma Mima begins to feel reality slip around her uh, That her life is not her own She discovers or imagines in some way a mirror image of herself that hasn't given up singing. Internet sites appear describing every intimate detail of her life, and a figure stalks her from the shadows. This is so ominous. Her, <laughs> fr- her friends and associates are threatened and killed. As Mima descends into a dangerous world of paranoid delusion, she fears for her life and must unravel fact from illusion in order to stay alive. I sort of want to jump into something sure. real fast. I, I want to talk about this rape scene. And I want to talk about this idea of rape in films and in writing. So there's, um, there's an essay in the current New York Review of Books by the writer Elaine Blair talking about how we lack the language to adequately write about, report on, and describe kind of sexual assault. So in part, when we try to do this, when we try to, des- to, when we try to describe these assaults, we can, not by intention, but we can eroticize them we can make them sound anytime we say like the word sex we kind of have this like inherent erotic way that our culture has of looking at this right um you know because everything here everything to do with sex here is kind of taboo and anything that's taboo is alluring and enticing so the same idea i see kind of happening in movies as soon as we see or show a rape scene it becomes this kind of eroticized moment and i'm thinking of like the girl with the dragon tattoo the original one Mm -hmm. that scene it's like the director is so in love with that violence right i know i'm supposed to be disturbed but you're making this almost it's like you're almost trying to make this sexy and it's not i think my larger point is that i never need to see another rape scene depicted in film
2: ever again yeah no i mean I, 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 i don't know what they're adding yeah I mean with you I, and again i you know I'm, I'm not gonna i haven't gone through and listed out all the rape scenes that I've ever seen, but like in the seventies this that was very much it, right? It was a way to gratuitously show nudity, it was a way to right. also to show violence, of course, but you look at something like Death Wish or like these movies that had it in it. it was a way to rip a shirt open and show a voluptuous woman topless. And then you know potentially it, it, and it was it was always just gross right mm-hmm. I mean it's, it but it was it was meant to be a quote unquote sex scene in this film rather whether it was loving or not what I think Khan does so well here is that this is this is a rape scene that she's consenting to because it's not actually a rape scene she's not actually being raped right but I right. think what Khan does so well here is shows how even even a consensual actress who has said, I want to do this. And you, even if you have men around her who are at some points, certain points still, while they have to be acting violently, they, that, you know, when there's a break, they're still kind of concerned about her asking right, her if it's okay. Right. How this bleeds over into her real life, into her real imagination, that you know, into her thought process, into her psyche. I thought this was probably the, the, the thing that Perfect Blue does the best is show how this kind of like this fetish and this and this 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 gaze um has affected mima the her entirety of her career and how it <clears throat> is really kind of split her personality and where she can't like she can't ever own it she can't ever own her own sexuality because because she's either a a uh prepubescent doll that yeah is, she's a living doll right, right? or she's this over hyper you know, entity that is being manipulated by uh, you know a perverted director and well, it's a, a you know a, a abusive director and a perverted photographer photographer who's who's taking advantage of her. What she, all she's trying to do is progress her career. This this movie, I, I mean, <laughs> it's so so good. But that but that but again, the rape scene, how it bleeds into her real life and so it starts to to affect her. You know, outside of just this is something I agreed to do, but this is obviously still it's still traumatic it's you you're not able to to extract yourself from that i don't it's you know again it's one of those things where i would really love for and I, not to not to re-traumatize any actress who's actually done this or gone through this but i would really love to see if there's if there's any sort of and i know this is surreal right and this is you know it's it's de palma and hitchcock and it's it, so it's kind of twisting you know reality but i would really be interested to know And maybe there's maybe there are articles out there or or discussions or conversations that that are already about this, about whether anybody who's done this had the same sort of thing happen to them where it's kind of bled over. And and really, even though they knew they had some power to say stop to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. still did it did it really affect them outside of the filming process?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I I agree with everything you you said there, because this. And this was something I was thinking about when I was watching it too, even though I was sort of, again, like disturbed and just like, I just don't need to see this anymore. But it is such a kind of meta thing. I mean, all of his films have this kind of meta meta narrative that run through them anyway. But this is, it's a filming of a scene that's being filmed. I mean, so it's kind of a construct of a construct of something else. (laughs) And so I think there is some separation there. And it's not like... So my my partner watches that Outlander show. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't. But I feel like there's like a rape in every episode of that of that show, and it's like I understand well, same thing with Game of Thrones. Right? Okay, I mean, yeah, like, and Game yeah. of Thrones too. Right. And I understand how it's used as sort of like a power thing in, in, in these in these films and like you know in in different times and times of war. But I'm just like, it, this doesn't need to be here all the time,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. And
0: I th- but but those are different things too, and I think because again i think
2: you have to ask yourself and regardless of whether or not it's it's a it's part of the source material and regardless of whether or not it's part of the 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 supposed life or of or the times a reflection of the actual times in which these things take place as a filmmaker as a as a you know you 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 almost have you you what what do you owe right to stick a step back and saying or if I'm doing this week in and week out, or if I'm doing this, am I making these sex scenes for people who have like,
0: rape fantasies? Right. Who have
2: rape fantasies, and 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 to what extent? Like, and again, right, not that that is, is. Do you need to put more of that that out there? I guess is the real question, right? right? Right. Um. And I think I think in this case, I do think one. I think he was very prescient about a lot of different things. Also. His female characters and, and the way that he wrote them, um, and the way that he just kind of ex- not even the female characters himself, but the way he, the way he examines the female experience in 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 all of these movies is very very interesting. I, I, I you know and so like I said, I I, I, I I think not to bash Khan. I think that this I think what he was trying to do is 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 make us look at the ugly side of this and make you look at what kind of impact it has, even if it's not technically a crime right
0: no i i I think and and i'm i'm in no way trying to to sort of bash his decision to to do to do that because i do see the separation of how you know this is a sort of meta moment and it also it sort of is i think commenting on the nature of scenes like this in films right saying like these can still even though these are not Real rapes, even though these, you know, this is an act. This is a a consensual scene, film between people that they can still induce a kind of trauma. And and let's not let's not pretend it doesn't. Right. And, and so, right. I mean, I think it's I think it's a very smart way to sort of talk about that or bring that up. I just, I mean, it just raised questions to me as I'm watching this. Going, I get it, but like, why do I see so much of this? And again, that essay and and how we lack how we lack language to talk about these things. And it's almost. A similar thing. We lack a cinematic language to to really, I think, get the point across with. Right. There's
2: no way to unless you make it so brutal and so disturbing that you can't watch it. Right. So something like irreversible, which you can I mean, that can mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. argued, but but that scene is meant to, to turn you off. That meant scene is meant to disgust you. As opposed to any other rape scene. Or sexually violent scene, like what is the what's the I don't know. I, 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 yeah, yeah. So it's it's you're right. I mean, it's it's difficult to know how we can actually not make that something that becomes fetishized, right, right, <laughs> yeah. right, or we yeah. you know rewound and rewatched and 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 kind of just perverted the intent, really.
0: Yeah, there's a ton going on in this film, <laughs> and I mean, I for 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 my money, this is this is I think his best most complex and most interesting. And I have a question about that later. Sure. But that'll come at the end of our <laughs> discussion, but I think I think one of the things this film does really well is the way it opens and the way that this opening sequence just plays with perception. And the way we kind of continue to shift the idea like of what we're seeing. We go from from like screen to stage to crowd to fans right to Mima looking at herself in a reflection on a train to seeing from seeing her from behind almost like she's a a marionette like being controlled Mm -hmm. and so the way this gaze just changes 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 i think it really sets up this kind of idea that, that that continues to progress in the in the movie itself about what are we looking at what's the real scene how does this perception and gaze change throughout throughout the film I think it's really fascinating.
2: Yeah, I think the whole, like, I think all of it, like, it, it, especially when you consider when it came out and like, and and what we as a U.S. society, I'm sure this happens in Japan. And this is another thing why I think part of a lot of this kind of a lot of anime kind of goes, maybe shoots past me a little bit because I'm not well versed in, in Japanese culture. And, and so... There's a little bit of a disconnect there. I mean, I obviously you can pick it up, I and mean, I mean, and you can get, gain insight from seeing it. That's not necessarily a reason to stay away, but I mean, it's just one of those things. Right. But in this case, where we are, in the, when this comes out, we're doing the exact same thing to to Lindsay Lohan and Paris mm-hmm. and Paris Hilton and Britney Spears, and like we're we're putting them under a microscope. We're trying to sexualize them virginally, which is a weird way to say that. But you know, what I mean, but like we're right. trying we're trying to right. make them into into these virginal. Objects of desire, as desire. As well. right, right. We're making them sing songs about <laughs> About basically having sex with me, but not having se- and and then we're surprised and we denigrate them When they do come out and they break out of these When they have these, an actual sexuality right thing. when they break out of these bubblegum rolls and, and that but we're and, and this is not even just to say um, You know f- females I mean we and not to say that the Jonas Brothers had this badly, but I mean we, we had these same sort of things with Selena Gomez and but I mean, all these Purity Ring bullshit and, and like all of this stuff that we were so invested in, whether or not, you know, these young starlets have had, had had sex before, and these were questions that we were asking them. And it's like, what the fuck are we doing as a society? Yeah. Because we're also putting them in Catholic schoolgirl uniforms or on the cover of Rolling Stone and, and 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 pigtails. Right. And pigtails and panties and and you know and t and tank tops. And it's just like we're we we're selling posters of that and it's just like what the f- and then and then and then we're clutching our pearls when they mm-hmm. kiss you know when aguilera and spears and madonna kiss each other on mtv and this is the this is the <laughs> fucking downfall <laughs> you know another thing he really did well was and i saw ahead of time was it was the internet stalking and the and the yeah. not, not only stalking but like impersonation and like in ninety seven, that's really something that's impressive to have, you know, you know, a, really kind of a Selena through point of like where you have this person who's close to you and who's also like causing you harm because they're jealous of you. And and it's that that all of this is this whole like plot line basically seems like it shouldn't have been written. It shouldn't have been available in ninety seven. It seems like it's way too ahead of its time right, to be in ninety seven. Right, right. Yeah, this <laughs> obsessive fan culture
0: and and because you're you're also referring to her her manager in the film Rumi and Rumi was a like an earlier version of Mima right who who suffers some kind of psychosis where she just can't let go and she sort of takes on the role right of of Mima but she's the real Mima and so she's controlling then like this other guy who so i want to take a step back and go back to this opening concert scene and we get we like really fully establish this kind of male gaze on on these women performing right. Cham, yeah, <laughs> it's, they're like Sailor the Moon basically, right? right? Yeah. yeah it's- but we get we get all these male fans. At first, they're like looking at them through cameras at eye level, right, taking photos. Then we hear them sort of talking, kind of you know gossiping almost about. And then we have this security guard who is just who becomes like hyper obsessed, and, and so much so that I would argue like wants to be her right right right, yeah i mean he's sort of framed with long hair more feminine features even if he is kind of grotesque and so we get this like really kind of established male gaze and that's there but then we get this kind of female perspective from from Rumi, and that becomes something kind of different altogether and how it subverts i think what we expect i mean i don't know having um having not seen this really before i didn't necessarily expect her to be kind of our our baddie, right? Right. She's the killer, right? And at the end. and the and the gouging of the eyes, right, is kind of a stand-in for this. I mean, again, interesting in sort of the how it, how it plays with this idea of the gaze and who's looking and who's you know who's observing and who's ogling. But it's also this kind of like stand-in for a castration fantasy, right? Right. Right. Which again, like another really kind of I think clever aspect in how he shifts the power of of who's looking of that gaze mm-hmm. idea. And then, I mean, the, you know, the twist on the Hitchcock-De Palma thing with, with our women, right, are the are the kind of heroes, are, are, are right. kind of the winners, right? right? They're not just victims.
2: Yeah, and that's a nice thing to here, too, is that I don't necessarily always know if that's um, where this would come out on Hitchcock and De Palma, to be quite fair, right? <laughs> is that, yeah, and this is the throughput through his movies, is that, you know, women are the one—the men are the buffling, the buffling, the bumbling buffoons and— the women are the ones who are going to come out on the, in the end and, and and actually triumph over this and, and kind of really expose, you know, the underbelly of what, you know, of, of each of these little plot lines here. I think it's funny that the first scene to me is so funny because, one, obviously it's disturbing because you're only with, there with, because you at first you kind of see, like you said, the cameras. And so you're like, OK, this is a this is, a, you know, kind of like a press event or like maybe. Even some sort of like store opening or some sort of like they're out on the street and then you see to see the see the younger crowd, which is younger boys. They're all men, but younger boys and they start getting into into a fight. But mm-hmm. the, but and then you pull back and there's men there and the lyrics that they're singing are so insipid and like just <laughs> ridiculous. Like there's no reason a grown man. Or even a young boy would like this music. It's right. like they're singing about girl things. like. And again, I don't necessarily mean to be as derogatory, but like young girl things. Like, You as you know, so far as normative ginger girls go, this is what they're singing yeah. for, right? This is a group of, a, group, a pop group that is intended to be Hannah Montana, right? This right. Is, right. This is mm-hmm. not intended to be where grown men. And that's, and but that's, a per, I mean, it's amazing it's, that he did that. Because again, it's the whole going back to that. We're going to we're going to sexualize these Disney stars Mm -hmm. and and we're we're going to we're going to scrutinize every aspect of their lives under this weird, bizarre and socially acceptable, societally acceptable male sexual gaze. It's so it's so bizarre. And I don't know if we're past it. I don't know if it's just something that, that we have. Like, I don't see us doing it. Maybe, maybe I'm ignoring it to a certain extent because it's kind of gotten to the point where it's just disgusted me, and I kind of can see it. I don't know if we're doing that with our young stars now. Maybe we are. I don't know. I just don't know who the young stars are because I'm not really kind of keeping my finger, on, right. think, thankfully, right. my finger on the pulse of like who the who the, who these are. But again, and I I mean, but like is, and I think weirdly enough, like if I think of like who I think of the young pop stars are, I would say that it probably still happened with. Selena Gomez and, and, um, I'm forgetting the, uh, Demi Lovato, mm-hmm. but it seems like Taylor Swift was able to like, kind of, aside from the fact that we all looked at like every single person that she dated and, and, and then, so maybe not, maybe not. Still, <laughs> we're still fucked up. Right, well, I, well, <laughs> I think, I think our
0: stars are probably, I, I think our, our pop stars, our, our celebrities that are obsessed over probably come from different areas now. Yeah. I mean, there's so many whether it's YouTube, TikTok, whatever But I think they could probably come from different Um, different realms Rather this than just like pop icons
2: It's the 17 magazines still exist Or Tiger Beat or Teen Teen Beat. Teen Beat. I, mean, <laughs> mag- I mean obviously I don't think magazines Don't, <laughs> don't exist as much What's anymore. a magazine?
0: <laughs> These guys are old Somebody <laughs> <laughs> anybody be mad anymore? Come on <laughs> You mentioned Rolling Stone earlier And someone's like what the fuck that? Right <laughs> Um Apparently, there is a kind of culture of like these, this young girl, um, and it's called shoujo. I, I'm sure I'm getting that wrong, and sure. else, but but where? I mean, it's pretty much like as you as you described, but it's more of like a, I guess socially acceptable, um, or right. a kind of like a cultural thing, and and part of the appeal is that they are these sort of like
2: vulnerable seductresses. You know, so, I mean, again, like to what you described earlier, right, um, and um, even if even if we don't do it with young actresses, we still dress them up <clears throat> as young actresses. Right. I mean, we oh, yeah, still we yeah. still have even if it's legally acceptable, we still then fetishize them in, to the extent of where they're high schoolers or.
0: Yeah, I wasn't and, excusing, it, I was well, excusing no, it. No,
2: no, 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 no. I mean, even then, I mean, like, I, you know, recently just saw the Cruel Intentions um, musical mm. over at Stage West, which is a lot of fun. But I mean, it's not, it's not like when I was in and when I'm watching that movie and I'm still having fun with it, but again, I, you can get how it's, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know where to draw the line. I mean, I, so, so also that, that's to the point of like, I don't want to sit here and on, this is not a podcast for me to come off on a high horse and say that I'm completely immune to it. It's not that I wouldn't ever read a gossip site or I'm so, I'm so like. Oh, of course. Right? So, I mean, like the,
0: but I mean, that is different than overtly sexualizing a a young woman. And, and, and I mean, overtly sexualizing to the sort of extent of denigration, right? right? Right, I mean, so that that's different because I love gossip columns. I absolutely love gossip.
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> I, you know, true, you know, true. No, but, you, you, make a good, you make a good distinction, though. I, I get that. Right. And, I'm, and then, and then going back like a generation before, like Britney and Christina. Like, if you, I don't remember that being happening. I don't remember that happening with like Debbie Gibson or Tiffany or. The, the 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 girls that came out. I'm so glad that you mentioned Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> and Debbie Gibson, but I don't know. I always had a thing for <laughs> Tiffany. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't remember us like really. And like even them, they seemed to be able to own their wardrobe. They didn't seem mm-hmm. to be as, as sexualized then. And, and then going back, I don't remember like the 70s were a completely different time. So if there were pop stars of the 70s, I don't remember them being young girls. And then other than being maybe Mickey Mouse Club type things that were going on there. But I don't remember anything kind of coming out like.
0: Do you think do you think that like maybe I mean, so speaking of like Debbie Gibson and Tiffany, do you think it could have also been a race thing as well? Because, look, I remember I think I remember hearing more about Janet Jackson and then say someone like Jody Watley in terms of that
2: or even Paula Abdul. Yeah, I still think that comes along. Well, or is that a little bit after? I think mean, that comes a little okay. bit after. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think, you know, once, I don't know, but I, I mean, maybe it's the nipplegate thing that, that kind of kicks it into like where we're really like, starting. Like
0: hypersonic gear, kind right. of. Right. Yeah.
2: yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So let me ask you
0: one more question about sure. this film, because um, I could talk about this like for the rest of our time. Like, right, right, right. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. at,
2: at some point, it might be interesting to review these again, because. I don't think we're going to do them um, justice, no, but but I, and no. I I want people to, to go out and there's there's a ton of stuff that's going on in these. So
0: here's a, so actually let me let me just this is a blanket question for all the films because I think they're all interesting and again they're all multi layered. Are they more interesting because they are anime? Yes,
2: okay. I think so too. I think okay. so because I think I don't think we're able to get away with what we're what he's able to get away with if it's not. And, and if this is Perfect Blue and it's his first film and it's not animated, then it's just a bizarre sexual psychosexual... sex, right it's, it's a de palma or hitchcock right yeah. and i think it's written <clears throat> off as such because he's not going to be able to have the budget to do the things that he wants to do right. visually he's not going to be able to split up <clears throat> and to kind of like morph reality into you know into our subconscious and it's like so yeah. all of that that happens i think that this film works better and i think i like, guess specifically the rape scene i think that works better because you can you can still see how it works, but you can still pull yourself back from the mm-hmm, horrificness mm-hmm, of it all. Mm-hmm. I will say that being a first film, I did think that um, the limitations on the animation style in this movie that you don't see moving forward hurts it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the kind of the muddiness and like the kind of crudeness of um, the animation style tends to blend characters together. And like so there wasn't a lot of like disparate. um Facial features between all the sure. you know, all the members of Cham and like so there's there's things that that I think could have been done on a bigger budget better um, and I think he probably would 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 have stated that as well as there were things that he probably would have done differently. I mean it was the first film, but I mean yeah. from but from a thematically and a storyline, yeah, I do think I think that all of these except for maybe Tokyo Godfathers, um, but I, even then I think you're you're willing to accept the the. Um, Laurel and Hardiness of Tokyo Godfathers because, because it's it, because it's animated and 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 those characters can be you know for lack of a better term more animated and still more believable um, where they don't they don't they don't they don't come off as cartoonish because they are actually <laughs> cartoons right <laughs> <laughs> this is true.
0: Okay, All right, so cool. heading um,
2: into Millennium Actress.
1: Millennium
0: Actress, and Chiyoko Fujiwara <laughs> was a star actress who suddenly quit at the height of her career. Genya Tachibana is a director who is seeking her out in order to produce a documentary on her life. This film serves as a play within a play. Um, Chiyoko's life spans a tumultuous period surrounding World War II, while her characters in movies span a time period from the Sengoku, Sengoku period which was like upheaval in civil wars during the 15th and 16th centuries, to a futuristic space age. The personal story of Chioko gradually becomes a muddle of reality, dreams, and movies. Each episode repeats a series of scenes of chasing, running, and falling in different situations and times. Her life, the sum of all of these, also repeats various setbacks and, and revivals while continuing to chase after the man with a key, right, who is almost an illusion. So at its heart, like, this is a love story right? Chioco always looking for that artist from her past, a romantic figure who seemed to hold the idea of possibility and led her to becoming an actress.
2: Yeah. That's
0: that's (laughs) basically it. So, I mean, this again is like a a continuation, right? On, on imagination. In reality. You could
2: could make the argument that, that whereas perfect blue would be a start of a career that they, that then the millennium actress is, is the end of a career and and looking back on it.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of argument to be made about whether or not Chiyoko is a is a reliable narrator in her own life. Um, obviously, you've got also the male gaze, a fan gaze of a person who's been obsessed with her the entire time that's making a documentary about her and and then how he inserts himself. So overall, this one, this is the one that I struggle with the most as far as connecting with, because this one leaves oh. me a little bit cold. But oh, OK, but I also think that there's 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 genius here in the way that he examines how we have, we make up these stories for ourselves and how we tell our, this this idea of how we tell our story and how Chioko's story is told, but from the movies that she's making, and, and then she progresses, and there's a blend of reality versus movies versus most likely her imagination of how things actually didn't, because again, she's, she's yearning for a love that she never really had, and that she's only projected, right? And then you also see Someone who is in love with the art who's Mm -hmm. in love with her product and inserts himself only in the moments where she's in movies So he's puts himself and I think that's a very interesting way to look back at the audience and see how we do that especially when we connect with a particular star that we that we you know, we followed a filmography of and that we imagine ourselves in you know bits and pieces and parts and and, and heroic parts in their movies that you know as us as the protagonist and us as the savior and so i think this does that really really well i feel i f- i find the story of the key obviously as a red herring to the whole thing i mean obviously yeah. i know that it is right it's not yeah. like i feel that i it's mean
0: like- it's such a mcguffin isn't it i mean that's <laughs> right it, it, right that's
2: but i think that it takes away a little bit like that i i don't know the MacGuffin to me kept pulling me out of the story of like well, why because again the idea—it's it, what drives everything, right? As far as moving it forward, but obviously, at the end, it doesn't really matter. She comes to realize that it was never really—it was—it was—it's this very Viktor Frankl, you know, meaning of life, right? It's just—it's just a matter of you need to have meaning. It doesn't necessarily have to have meaningful, meaning, right? Be meaningful, right? This means to be meaningful to you, and this this uh, this idea of 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 trying to to always hunt for this kind of perfection that's never really a thing, and then when you know when she realizes that the man that she's loved this entire time has died and you know then really that's when her career starts to crumble right Our, you know it, the, the whole, literally <laughs> there's an earthquake <laughs> on, his, on a movies and and her career ends at that point because she realizes that it you know the, the thing that she was striving for the thing that she was doing all of this for is no longer there so right. she's just going to stop because now there's no meaning coming back around full circle when they come back to her and to make a retrospective of her career saying well here's the key. you know it wasn't ever and then she realized it wasn't ever really about that and i was just moving forward and 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 um so th- th- i think this is his most complicated one for me from a perspective of like trying to kind of really grasp onto it but i i, re- I mean I, I still love it i just yeah. it just kind of misses the thread for me just a little bit
0: yeah i i i think this sort of blurring of of life and art is really compelling and really fascinating because i mean i think this is so much of how we how we actually go about our lives whether it's Music or visual art or film or books, right? We're always sort of using those things to help explain the quote-unquote real world. And, and, I mean, to go back to this other idea of perception, I mean, so much of reality, not to be cliche or hackneyed, <laughs> right? But so much of reality is how we perceive it. You and I look at this room in a different, completely different way because we're different people. I mean, and that's not to say that like one way is any more true than the other. Right. And I think that's part of this film, too. It's like, how do we use these things to help explain the world we live in and the world that we kind of inhabit? I also like how this film seems to be saying something akin to its process over product. It's a film about asking these questions, about trying and failing and falling, right? It's about sort of holding on to your ideas and principles rather than sort of reaching an apotheosis or an apex. And then back to this idea about the gaze that you said, because this is interesting in how the gaze works here, because it's not just her gaze or her storytelling or us watching her, but it's just. Film director, right, again, watching her as well. So this kind of, these two gazes coming together, Mm. but then there's also a third gaze in the cameraman (laughs) that that our film director brings in who also ends up in these kind of fantasies, right? And he's like, I feel like a stalker, I mean, (laughs) he even sort of brings this up, which I think is great, but, but these three gazes kind of merge together to produce something much more positive than perfect blue. I mean, *Perfect Blue*. We also had kind of a male gaze, female gaze kind of mashup, right. but in a in a kind of a negative, subverting way. And here, it's a much more sort of positive, romantic gaze, not just on the people in the in the film, but on history as well, right? In yeah. the past.
2: This, yeah, this is much more mm. of an uplifting kind of love letter to not only Japanese cinema but Japanese history, and 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 I I do think the cameraman serves as a nice surrogate for the audience, and like yeah. because again, this one is. I think this one you gain the most out of. Well, it's hard to say because Paprika is so dense. So but like, yeah, this yeah. one I think takes a little bit more intensity to watch because you are there's what he does with the animation styles and move and blending it so perfectly from real life to to the movie set to all of this like your every scene like and, and it, you know again almost like really literally every scene like you it's a misdirect she turns around and then turns back around and there's swords in her face or she's in a different costume mm-hmm. and, and it just does that. So like if you watch this, this is not a movie you can watch casually and really pick up on anything. So I think the, the cameraman serves as a surrogate for us. Cause he's just, he's always like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I, <laughs> I, I don't even know what's happening here. There's
0: also um, Chiyoko is I think pretty much accepted as a, as a composite character mm-hmm. of um, Setsuku Hara and Hideko Takamini. Um, two kind of big stars around the same time of, 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 that she would have been acting. And so I think if, if, if you're familiar with, not you, but anyway, right, right. saying, if you're familiar with, you know, Kurosawa or Ozu or the, or the kaiju movies, you ha- you would have seen one of these two actresses. And and so and then you see the references in the film as well and you see sort of the throne of blood you see her posing with a Godzilla type monster and you see um, Sort of the pre-war stuff. Yeah, Yeah, so it's all
2: of that uh, Yeah, it's really it's that those aspects of it and like I said if you're a fan of Japanese cinema Which you've probably already seen this but if you're a fan of Japanese cinema (laughs) and haven't seen this Like I said, it really is just a love letter to all of those types of movies and 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 captures all of them really really well I don't, I don't I, I, you know as far as like the the you know it, much to say about this one um I, I there's not you know I don't I don't know this this one blends so perfectly well with perfect mm-hmm. blue that you could almost make aside from the fact that again perfect blue is a at it, at its core uh, a stalker mystery a psycho sexual yeah. kind of thriller type thing um and this is so different than that but it it is interesting like i say it's almost like a palate cleanse um it, it, a same type of story but a palate cleanse. like you said told from a different perspective told okay. from a more uplifting perspective mm-hmm. i think there was something like really beautiful I, I i the visuals in this one really were just stunning the, the space scene like uh, you know the the opening uh rocket launch and, mm-hmm. and, and rocket launchers is so well done that um,
0: it's almost like kubrickian and
2: the way yeah, it, opens. Yeah, it really right. really is and then um, you know some of the scenes where she's running to the snow and then she finds herself in the painting and like there's just some of that that's just I mean obviously a lot of this is when she's talking to you, it's very heartbreaking about how she's like telling she's she, really she stopped because she realized not only is he dead but he wouldn't recognize me and I mean, she right. finds the painting right. that he painted of right. her on the wall and she's got that she took that down and, and it hasn't it and it's framed. And she realizes that's who he sees me as and that's right. a really interesting point too they don't really like dig into that too much but like because well, it happens
0: of, towards the end right and then right. She, she kind of you know dies soon after right but it's like that that sort of like final acceptance right because even at the end and look I guess I'll, I'll mention this now I don't like the endings of any of these films I find them ought to be too cute seeing on the nose right? <laughs> so like in this film she she's kind of you know the, the film ends with her sort of back in a, a movie scene going. Like, you know, right. launching off into space in this <laughs> rocket. And I mean, the last thing she says is, it was about the journey anyway. And I'm just like, <laughs> right, oh, oh right. like we got it, right? <laughs> but that idea of like, you know, he wouldn't, rec- this is who he sees me as, not, not not, who I became, is really interesting. But it's also like why she became an actress, right? So that he would sort of recognize her in some way. But as an actress, I mean, she's adopting persona. I mean, it, Again, there's these ideas of sort of identity and identification within this film that I think we probably could have dug more into, like you said, but but, but
2: are still there. And yeah. they're still
0: being played with.
2: And this one misdirects a little bit, too, with the—I mean, obviously, I just said that every scene was a misdirect. But what I, mean by <laughs> that, what I mean is with the with the jealousy through line of the older actress who steals the key from her, and then that ends up with her marriage to the director— as she's kind of lost her, she's lost mm-hmm. the key, she's lost herself, she's lost, the, you know, so she's just gloms on or she slashes on to the, the next male that's available to her. I don't know if those are fully explored, to be quite honest. I think that those seem to be like things we would expect to happened to a young ingenue, but it doesn't really propel her story aside from just being anecdotal pieces of information for her. And, and like I said It's easy to get caught up in the visuals of this one I, Like I said This one to me is my least favorite Not that I dislike it It's just it's just It doesn't Visually I think maybe the most stunning one that we have But again It's the one that's like kind of A little bit yeah. uh, detached for me It was good I mean It and, and, was good again, I, I
0: dug it I dug it um, Super Super meta <laughs> <laughs> Yeah But yeah. I think I think is probably the most meta Of all of them Anyway <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about Tokyo Godfathers real quick then. Um, So middle-aged alcoholic Jin, teenage runaway Miyuki, and former drag queen Hannah are a trio of homeless people surviving as a makeshift family on the streets of Tokyo. While rummaging in the trash, Hannah is looking for books to give to Miyuki. Um, On Christmas Eve, they stumble upon an abandoned newborn baby. The film then becomes a journey, both literally in the (laughs) search for the baby's parents and spiritually for each of our three characters and what they discover or rediscover about themselves.
2: There's so much humanity in this film. It's so much humanity. Like again, when we talk about movies like *The Birdcage* and sh- like how like this one that doesn't even fucking blink. That your that your that your main character arguably is a transvestite not transvestite. Sorry, it's a transsexual woman. Uh, but I guess
0: transvestite is the right. I don't, because, I don't know. because I mean, look, I, look. She she reminds me of Eddie in um, uh, *Funeral Parade of Roses*. Right. Sure. Right? Sure. Right. And and Eddie called. Themselves transvestite, right? I mean, I look. I don't nomenclature. I don't know. like I mean, here's our here's our sort of like (laughs) apology, right?
2: And Uh, and and Hannah um, had appeared in drag earlier. I mean, like they she was a drag performer um she and, worked in a club very she, much like eddie did right and, <laughs> and she and she identifies as a female mm-hmm. I mean, and mm-hmm. but she also understands the limitations of where she is yeah. as well i mean like, she, she really she, was <laughs> eating for two so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- weirdly this is the most accessible of his films i mean like this yeah. this story has like you said has so much fucking heart to mm-hmm. it and it's so like of all the um, the cuteness of all of the three that were all all the four this one's i think the most forgivable because it's Mm -hmm. it's such a it's a wonderful life like you wouldn't expect anything different but from a story that's told from christmas to new year's and it's just you know it's it's like yeah everything that fucking happens is ridiculous everything is coincidental and like tokyo is this huge place but everybody like all over the course of the night these three godfathers all find their Find their way back to their real families mm-hmm. or uncover them or have some sort of therapeutic moment that that allows them to, um, you know, to <laughs> I don't know, to, to, you know, to kind of like reclaim themselves. Even the parents of of uh, Kyoko. What is is it Kyoko? This is the baby's name. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, even the parents, which are, aren't the parents, but that when we find out that so they find this baby that's been abandoned um, we find out through a, a series of events later on in the movie that the mo- the baby was actually taken from the hospital from a couple that's um, About to split up because the, the husband has gambling problems and the wife thought that she would steal the baby her baby died I think yes. yeah her baby died yeah. and she thought that this baby would bring them back together and they could stay yeah. together But she's like postpartum and almost suicidal And, and so, she is suicidal, Right, and yeah. so they, they they so the so she steals the baby from the hospital the husband abandons the baby is stumbled upon by these three homeless people and their christmas miracle is to get it back to its you know its parents but also to kind of like fulfill voids in their own lives uh the you know the young girl has who she's a runaway because she stabbed her father um And, and she
0: clearly has other issues there right i mean you know there's something there that's unexplored which i think again is like why she ended up homeless in the and then why she
2: ran away in the first place? And so uh, the man, what's his name? I forget his name. Jen, 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 Jen. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. He Has gambling problems of his own, and so he's he's kind of estranged and, and embarrassed about his own situation. Mm-hmm. And then Hannah had a out violent outburst because of some sort of like a sexual assault in the club, and and she's no longer able to kind of live the life that that she had been living as a, as, a, as a lounge singer. So now they're all three homeless. Um. So now they're trying to find the you know get this baby back yeah. back to its parents. And, you know, through a confluence of events, they all start to figure you. So you basically learn more <laughs> about them. We end up on a rooftop once they know that the baby's been stolen and all three of them and and the baby, the mother who stole the baby all fall off. the. Well, they don't all fall off the roof, but the baby gets <laughs> caught in Hannah's arms. Hannah falls off the roof and a gust of wind blows up the Oh, it's like a banner, banner that she yeah. fell and he's yeah. grabbed onto and it blows her up. And then she can very gently go back <laughs> down to, to the ground. And it's a wonderful life. It's all over. Yeah. Like it's, it's fine. Everything's happy. Uh, you know, and again, they've all kind of reconnected in a way and basically learned through, um, that these three Godfathers who had given, given up on themselves, realized that the people that were, that, you know, they left behind had never had really given up on them and they're worried about them. And so they can potentially go back to the lives that they had before and we're all have redemptive arcs literally yeah well (laughs) and and i mean and this you know i
0: mean the the ideas here at least that i find so fascinating are these ideas of family right what make up a family what do we want from our families what do we owe our families and i think that there's there's this real theme of like performance in in the film as well especially from hannah hannah gets to sort of play the role (laughs) of mother, the role that she wants to play more than anything. And Jen gets to play this role of good father, right? To the to the teenage runaway right. as well. You know, these roles that that he failed at before, and he knows that. Hannah performing this role that she she wants but can't naturally have, I guess is the Right. Right? She can't give birth to her own to her own kids. And so she's sort of taking on this role as well. And she to me is sort of like the driving the driving force of making everyone realize what they've done, what they've lost, and sort right. of confront them and, and and
2: sort of forces everyone
0: to confront themselves and including her herself. The, this,
2: the, and, and the story that we've laid out, there's so much more going <laughs> there on. There is like there's, there's, there's a, a mafia of... through line that goes on. But, and then there's a, um, you know, a, a scene with a with a Spanish man that that um, is, is, is shooting someone in the mafia. Uh, because he's been swindled oh, what i love about that and i think what's so like really really well done in this movie is that when we get to the spanish house and there's no subtitles for the spanish right, so, that, that, I, right. That, I thought that was so so, so well done mm-hmm. like that that's just such a genius level move where you're like oh yeah our characters wouldn't understand this so you're not gonna understand mm-hmm, it either <laughs> unless mm-hmm. you speak spanish right, right? <laughs> But I, and I love how
0: Khan also brings in these, these other social, like real social issues. So not just Hannah, but this idea of homelessness and like, who do we abandon, right? Who do we sort of, th- literally, who right. do we throw right. out? Who do we throw away? Right. And and why do we do that?
2: Yeah. And, and their kind of struggle with it as well. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. like their, their struggle with not only the, the personal demons, but then just the matter of like them, you know, realizing who they are and then they're outcasts and, and there's a conversation they have about how they're, um, you know, rating you know, the offerings at Christmas time in a in a in a uh, in a cemetery, and this all these kind of like you know uh, them put them on themselves, and even when they get to when they um, save the mafia man from the car that's running over him, and they get invited to his what we- you know to his daughter's wedding, <laughs> um, and they don't really know how to behave there either, right? And and it's um and there's like I said. This this movie is like all of his movies are jam packed full that nothing ever stops really but this one is like everything is just so crazy um, and, and it and it's not all just comedy either there's I mean there's a scene where some young men beat up Jen oh, and yeah. another homeless man and like brutally beat and that's not bloody to the extent where you would think I mean it's not like it's not gross bloody but I mean it's a brutal beating it's, that they take yeah. it's not it's not fun and, and it's and it's weirdly really like they nonchalant for them they take a phone call and it's you know and then they're not talking about how they basically said they're cleaning up the streets and, and right. it's right. yeah so but, but
0: again that's like I mean cone turning this 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 like gaze this lens back on society itself and saying like this is how callous some of us are towards people like this the thing that you didn't say about the the older homeless man was that he was already dead when they beat him up Right, Jin had rescued him off the street and taken him back to wherever they're staying and sort of it made him comfortable, you know, as he was as he was dying, and they still just beat this corpse to shit. Again, reinforcing this idea of look how shitty we are to to these
2: people. They're still people. This is the first one that feels like an anime film to me, where like because you know when Jen comes, when Jen's riding riding the bike, and he's he's learned that the baby's been stolen, mm. and the mother's not. The, they give they've given the mother they've given the baby back to the mother who stole it from the hospital, and Jen knows that she stole it. Because he's all pissed off because he saw a news article or a news report basically saying that it was stolen. He's like, "We didn't steal it; we found it." And they're like, "No, it was stolen from the hospital." I'm like, "Oh shit!" That's, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's- oh. so like he's riding his bike, and it's a really cool scene where he's riding his bike. He passes Han- uh, Hannah, and and the girl, and he stops and he, like falls off the bike, and he's like running, all very much like a, like, like what you would think a traditional like Japanese say so He's making all the, you know, the the exaggerated facial expressions and 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 you know arm limb movements and things. This one feels like it's more steeped in traditional anime styles than than Millennium Actress or or uh, Perfect Blue are for yeah. sure. For me, yeah. I would say this this movie. Really, if you want to jump into one it's, it's not heavy, this is. I yeah. think. I mean, there there are heavy themes here, but this is the funniest one to me. This is the most easily accessible and it's this, most straightforward right yeah. right yeah there's not there's not a lot of blending of there's some but very very little yeah. uh, blending of. but it's it's more like traditional flashback right? i think as well right i, I mean do, i do love the scene where the baby turns to the the mother that stole it and was like basically it's gonna i mean i don't forget exactly <laughs> what the words were but it was like it's gonna be it's gonna be okay
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> their eyes open up and yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: I was going to make a spice joke, but um, uh, I don't know. It just, it, it's lame. Okay, so Paprika. Uh, in the near future, a revolutionary psychotherapy treatment has been invented through a device called the DC Mini. Therapists are able to act as dream detectives to enter into and explore unco- the unconscious thoughts of patients. Before the government can pass a bill authorizing the use of such advanced technology in therapy, one of the prototypes is stolen. In the wrong hands, the potential misuse of, of the device could be devastating, allowing the user to completely annihilate a dreamer's personality while they are, while they are asleep. Renowned scientist Dr. Atsuku Chiba enters the dream world under her exotic—it's not really the right word, but I don't really quite know—under <laughs> her alter ego codename Paprika in an attempt to discover and stop the dream terrorist— um, I'm sure that I've mispronounced all of these names mm-hmm. today. It's okay. And again,
2: right, I, we apologize, I apologize. Right. <laughs> so somewhere, somewhere out there is like mis- you mispronouncing Brocks. Ignorant, like,
0: yeah. <laughs> right. <It's> okay, good. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, so I think the meta-narrative in this is the most most pronounced. I mean, what I left out of that synopsis is this like through line of our detective who wanted to be a filmmaker.
2: <laughs> right <laughs> this whole thing that everything about this movie is, is 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 it's repressed selves right this whole thing yeah. of like the dream world is a representation of our repressed selves and then this idea again i think you could watch this one a thousand times and come away with something different each time
1: mm-hmm.
2: like what is that actually saying that but be- like unfettered or our complete unrepressed selves also then leads to chaos. This idea that, and again, this is what, so I would love to be able to talk to Khan about this just kind of at length because this, when I'm watching this, I kind of had this weird malaise come over me today because I was just like, this is a movie about immature, ineffectual men Mm -hmm. and they're trying to control the world around them. And then, when all of them try to do that, the world basically implodes and c- crashes down on it, and becomes this like nonsensical mess of humanity that is unsustainable. I, there's there's so so much to unpack about this, and then this one too. You know, we talked about this at the screening though as well. Is that there's so much here um, that I don't exactly know how to feel about the. The main, the the smartest man in the world, the person who's 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 invented the DC Mini, which they say DC Mini a lot of times in this movie, which is <laughs> a little annoying, but other than that, um, is um, this oh, morbidly obese scientist. Um, it's now it's is, is do you how do you feel about like is that just characterized in his infantile nature and just to show him as kind of this kind of man baby? Because they they bring it up. And it's weird for me from a con perspective because he's so usually respective yeah. of this type of, um, I don't know, demeaning language. But they bring it up to demean him mm-hmm. he's either so used to it that he doesn't like register it or he just doesn't register it because it because he's so smart in a, in a, in a clinical sense. That from a societal sense, in and in a, you know, he can't pick it up. He doesn't really understand that it's a that it's a bad thing. He, but he, but there's, I mean, the first time we see him, he's stuck in an elevator. Chiba brings it up over and over, over, again, and over again to talk about how. Um, you know, basically disgusting that he is, and that he. She's like, get your shit together. Right, this is ridiculous. Like, you can't just continually overeat. It's I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on like that piece of it? Because it's to me, it stands out as something odd. It's it
0: it's weird because one of the notes that I made about Tokyo Godfather is how he does not look down on these people at all. Right, right? but but here he kind of. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's for effect. It seems like it's, but it's also like this is the guy who, in some ways. I guess he doesn't really like save the day but he he has a more integral part to play than just being a kind of oaf. And so I don't know if he's just doing it for effect. I, I look I think it's kind of unnecessary. He can be a slob. He can be right. he can be a man baby. He can be a sort of man child without having to be, you know, what we typically turn our noses up at or look down upon. And and so I I don't know. I the only one of the things that I that I think is that he wants to surprise us at the end because Atsaku ends up marrying him, right? right. So Doctor Chiba, who who yells at him all the time for being like you know fat and slobbish and oafish, they end up together. And so I don't know if that is. But then again, I mean that's problematic in itself, as we see in like all these terrible sitcoms here, right? The <laughs> right. the slubbish man ends up with the with the too hot wife, right? Or, the, right? or the you know what I mean? No, no, no. Um, yeah, no, I got it. And it also seems like it's for comedic effect too. And I just.
2: Right, but just, but like,
0: but why? Right, I mean, really, why? And there are a couple why questions, and I don't know that I want to. I don't know if we want to get into that. Right, no, I, mean, we second, well, I but, think we're going to bounce
2: all around over. For yeah, Pat yeah, Because yeah. Cause, cause the whole movie is a fever dream, right? Right, be- right. If right, you're, if you're right. watching the, the watching this, the best thing that you, I, th- I personally think you can do is kind of turn your brain off. Not what? turn your brain off, but let, but, but. Stop trying to follow the plot. You have to suspend disbelief. That's right. fine, and just kind of yeah. let yourself go with the insanity that, that you're seeing on screen because it's beautiful. <laughs> it really is like no, it is visually speaking. This is a fucking carnival. This is just so much fun to watch. And like, and like I said, man. And again, you can see its influences on Nolan and on you know mm-hmm. all of these filmmakers. That there's a scene where the policeman is watching. A, a watching paprika be molested, and we'll get into that in a minute too. But and he pushes his face through the screen to get into these I mean, there's just so much like that that is so visually arresting and interesting, and it, and it's so that's it's a lot of fun to yeah. me to to watch. I really really love this movie, but I from a visual aspect, it's it, I think it's it's damn near perfection.
0: Yeah, it just dawned on me that you know Aronofsky took a lot of influence, especially from Perfect Blue, but he must have taken it from this one too, from oh, the for, whale. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry, but but going back to this, like I really don't know why he has to be so big. I think it's just I mean, this was I don't I don't want to well, always like put things off. Like, well, it was the time, and it was just kind of.
2: And I'm you know, okay funny with him. Like, I'm okay with him being big. What I'm weirded out about a little bit is why Chiba decides constant. To, to yeah, egging, you know, egging him, especially when she clearly. I'll I will say this. I don't necessarily know if, if you can say that she clearly has feelings for him. That makes apparent sense. I mean, maybe after the fact it does. Chiba and Paprika are two sides of the same coin, right? Mm-hmm. Paprika is also the embodiment in the repressed self that Chiba can't be because Chiba's got to live in this male-dominated world and she's got to put on a persona. She's mm-hmm. got to dress mm-hmm. differently. She's got to pull her hair back. She can't be this cupie doll, like cute... Uh, entity kind of like short hair pixie girl that hmm. that exists but also a dream spy right right. <laughs> <laughs> right right who can do anything who can and can manipulate anything in the world and, and and really help people navigate these the repressed selves in in these in the dream world so okay you can make an argument that, that chiba has to put down that that she's portraying manly, or, you know, kind of bullying, or brutish, or, you know, she's trying to assert herself in a, in a male-dominated world by doing what she would expect something to be done, you know. Or maybe she's trying to throw people off the scent that she's attracted to. Right. And
0: I don't know. But, but back back to this theme of performance, right? She's performing a different kind of role. She's performing this, I mean, male kind of role, right? Right. And this is how, this is how not, boys talk to each other. But that's not know.
2: enhanced at all by her no. calling him fatty. No,
0: no. And I I, I agree. And so it's... It, i mean so all of these like explanations we can come up with don't make it make sense right I mean, right so, and you get the idea that they have been friends for a long long time and um, because he calls her atsu i think like a- yeah yeah a- sorry thank you but but it's more of a familiar and she's like don't call me that at work or whatever right and so you get the idea that there is a kind of closeness there but again the kind of like oh and and because at another like cute ending and now I misses you know so and so
2: you're kind of like that comes out of nowhere, right? And and the love story doesn't seem to be two sided either because the the scientist doesn't seem to be interested in anything other than science. The DC, yeah, the DC mini and 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 making his invention better, right? I, I don't. Is is this a way though to? to show
0: is this a way to sort of show women in a stronger more powerful mode maybe where you know I, but, she is multifaceted she is and yes even though, though she adopts this different persona and she sort of undertakes this kind of role of performance in the real world in the dream world she is more in touch more in tune with the world with herself with her feelings with her understanding of everything else around her than than these men who are just sort of like single-minded and and, and hyper focused on things it
2: it seems to me that that she she loses the thread a lot of times of where she ends mm-hmm. where, where she ends and paprika begins and she clearly it almost seems like she feels like she's given up too much of herself because she, like paprika clearly is the object of desire for all of the other men right and so she's she's removed that object of desire and so she can be accepted right and mm-hmm. and 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 i don't know like it, I don't know if it really works for me when they come back together at the end and they, you know, destroy the bad guy. I don't I don't know. I, need, I would maybe need to go back and pay a little bit more closer, closer attention to once we get back into the real world and the the, the crisis has been solved and, and, and we, we've solidified reality again. Whether or not I know she seems to be a little bit more jovial and a little bit more balanced, but it's such a harsh like because, again, that's such a crescendo of. Of, you know, just a visual feast right of all the things that are going on like to basically and you and you, and you go up and she's you know You're gazing up at her naked body from right and and, and as she's come back together as paprika and Chiba um, So I don't know I guess I don't know if it really really works for me on this perspective of like What are we trying to say about paprika? You've named this movie paprika? You didn't name this movie Chiba, right? right. So I mean like right. this is a story about um, you know about that entity and how that's gonna save Everything that's going on here solve the problems. I I, I don't know. I don't know if it, I don't like said. I don't know if like her coming back together. And then you make the argument. Then okay. So if, if now not everyone's split, but like now that everyone's had a glimpse into their repressed selves. And mm-hmm. I know the cop, you know the, the the detective is able to kind of make amends with his past. Um, but do we see that in you know? Obviously the bad guys are disappeared. They're gone, right? I mean, and do we see that with The scientist or or anybody else it's i don't know there's not enough there's not enough epilogue here to kind of like really kind of fit your head around what the world is going to be tomorrow in paprika after Mm -hmm. after all of the events you're honestly kind of lulled to sleep a little bit because everything else that's going on in the dream world is so it's so chaotic that you're just kind of relieved like oh shit well we're good now we've got the world back to normal (laughs) (laughs) oh i was supposed to i was supposed to kind of follow a, a character arc um, but, yeah, I kind of forgotten, and now the credit's roll and where here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean,
0: <laughs> this was the tougher—the toughest movie for me to engage with, at least maybe on an intellectual level, where it's the one that left me probably the most— I don't know if cold is the right word, but it's the one that left me kind of just puzzled, I think, more than— I mean, look, I, it was a feast for the senses, right? Mm-hmm. It was a feast for the eyes, but
1: yeah, other think, than that, I, th- I think, kind
2: of— I think the animation style, as he's progressed, obviously it is leaps and bounds. It's ten years later, but it leaps. And, it's a different animation style, it, and what he's able. Well, to Well, it's pull digital, no. Right,
0: right. I mean, because everything else was. Wait, was. The,
2: I think Millennium, Millennium actress was the, also the last
0: hand drawn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so the first two were hand drawn, and the last two were. were I mean, so yeah. I mean, yeah. Technology's progressed, and so there's. I, I more the more. the
2: other thread for me that really kind of broke me in Paprika. Is that all of all of the men? All of them are ineffectual, immature man babies. Hashtag all men. (laughs) Hashtag guess all men. (laughs) And so, I would also want to ask Khan about the sexuality in this film. Yeah, yeah, that's what I. Because the the scene where and I forget the 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 okay, so there's there's a character in the movie who is impressed and in love with chiba as chiba exists in the real world he's not as smart as her he looks up to her but he's also intimidated by her in that sense so when he's in when he he's the one who ends up he's the one who stole the dc mini he's the one who's pulling all this together he's also being kind of controlled by the corporate overlord who wants to stop production of the dc mini but only for quick so he can control the world basically it's a it's kind of a it's a misdirect on his part he's Upset that it could fall into the wrong hands, but it's already fallen into the wrong hands. And he are just, <laughs> right? Yeah. which is a really cool like visual scene when those two guys come, when he comes out of his neck, yeah. But that scene where you know he uh, is is uh, assaulting is assaulting Paprika. You know he's he's and he puts his hand near her crotch and then kind of runs it up her body. And a cool scene. I mean, like it's it, it, not when I I don't want to say cool. But it's, visually, it's visually, it's it's, visually it's, arresting, it's right? because his hand's going up through her body and goes up into her face and under her skin, and he basically exposes Paprika or exposes Chiba as being underneath or being the true self of Paprika. Um, and But the sexuality of that scene, and again, we can talk going back to the sexuality of rape scenes or sexual assault scenes, that one is still very clumsy and very... Like when he fondles her breast, and, and it's it's all very man baby-ish it's all very it's stumbling and not really i mean it's just it's not knowing it's and again i'm not going to try to argue whether a sexual assault should be knowing right i'm not trying to like but the but the effect of it all because he puts his hand on her crotch and it kind of goes in and it's like (laughs) it goes into her body not in you know And and it's, (laughs) sorry, I don't know, I don't know how to like navigate this, I'm a fucking man baby as well. Well, we we
0: talked about the limitation of language to talk about these things, and so I don't think it's an accident that we're kind of like, how do I say this in a way that isn't, right, right, that isn't sort of like one disgusting, but also then again,
2: like fetishizing it, so... But so, but those scenes, it just, I, I want to know what he's saying with that because clearly that's a sexual act. I mean, I know it's assault. That is clearly mm-hmm. a, a sexually mm-hmm. assaulting act that he's doing to her, splitting her in essentially in two, ripping off her skin. Um, and, and it's an act of penetration. Right, right. And it's, it's, biz- that's bizarre to me too, because again, it comes out of fucking left field too. Like, there's so much that's being done visually in this movie where you're like and you're so caught up in the nonsensical words that are being said. <laughs> and like, um, you know, animated boom boxes and toasters and refrigerators dan- and like this cacophony of like dolls that are just like morphing. into. it's beautiful and it's amazing. But it's but you're, weird. But it, but it is weird. And it just kind of lulls you to sleep to like I, I think that some of the storyline that we're trying to develop here doesn't quite hit its mark because it's just not well explained because we're so busy in look at all the cool shit that i can do
0: yeah, yeah. i think there is right um, i think that the story does suffer for that i i think going back to this bad guy who who you know sort of splits chiba he also seduced or was allowed to be seduced by another male scientist who then he stole the dc mini from and then we find out that he's also having a sexual relationship with the big bad and so i think this provides a kind of interesting juxtaposition between who he is becoming in the in this world and who he thinks he should be right he thinks that he should be you know assaulting this woman he thinks that he should be with this woman right and that she should love him too but also he's engaging in these other uh, more or less true i don't know acts right to to right. get to get what he to get other things that he wants namely sort of power or close to close to power so i think that's interesting as well and is that why he's so fumbling with her during that kind of assault scene because he doesn't, right, like, he doesn't qu- right he's like this is how it's supposed to be right i mean man, right. <laughs> that that you know the the sort of like teenage boy mind of like this is sex right right but but I so i don't i don't know because that that was a question for me it, it, watching this as well I was like wait a minute like does he think he's supposed to be this but this is who he really is this idea again of like repressed selves
2: yeah it's a it's a weird it's a weird queer energy that doesn't quite get like it's and it's weird again we talk about all the things that like khan does so well with female protagonists and he he, you know he mentioned in an art in an interview that he wrote for females because it was do you want the exact quote yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah, no i like women it's because female characters are easier to write with a male character i can see only the bad aspects because i'm a man i know very well what a male character is thinking on the other hand, if you write a female protagonist because it's the opposite sex and I don't know them the way I know a male, I can project my obsession onto the characters and expand the aspects I want to describe.
2: And I think that plays out perfectly in Paprika. I think the five male characters that he writes here are only all bad. I mean, like, they have redeeming qualities and they're not all bad guys, but they're all, they're all still—they all suffer. They all suffer from the same— narcissistic and 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 this again this idea of like men can't tap into their their true feelings and their and their uh, all of this is repressed um and i think that's limiting when you're talking about all five of these characters having the same afflictions yeah and then and then but also you're trying to make these these characters complex right the bad guy in perfect blue is also a female right um It's easy for him to put himself in Millennium Actress as as the interviewer because it's him telling the story, and that guy has nothing really to do other than project what he's what you know his he really is not a character, right? I mean, he's just a guy that propels the story along. He's a fan, right? Right? I mean, he's 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 another surrogate for for who we are. Right? Look, watching this, Tokyo Godfather is completely different because it's it's, it's telling a you know it's telling a different story. But in this one, you you can't have all of them be different parts and then all be the same character essentially and so yeah it's a little like especially when you're trying to write them as complex right this this idea of of one of them being a big fat man baby and one of them being a repressed homosexual right. or maybe not even a repressed homosexual but a, you know a potentially bisexual or maybe he's just a homosexual that also realizes that in a man world that he has to he has to want or desire and, and that's the reason he likes Chiba and that's that's an interesting point is that he reason he rips paprika open is because Chiba is more of the man uh, Portion, you know the, the, the male the masculine aspect of that of that uh, of that character So there's things that I just don't know if this movie knows how to handle all of them that well And then again by the time you get to, to the hour-and-a-half mark and we've and we've gone through and we've looked at some really really cool shit that we can all take a breath and like, okay, well, that's fun. That was cool to watch, but I don't know what thinking about this, um, whether or not it's... Uh, it's like, is
0: there any there there?
2: Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I really like this,
0: this idea of Chiba embodying more of the masculine role than... I like the idea of Chiba embodying the masculine role that he wants to embody. But is having a hard time doing and that is why right he, he wants to sort of or he that that is why he finds himself Assaulting her and also drawn to her right. right I mean, that's that's compelling. That's interesting But again, like none of this stuff is really dug into or explored
2: It's too much There's
1: it's, there's, there's, there's too, <laughs> it's this, too much like, you
2: know, it's one thing like if you take something look at something like inception where it's just around a, You know a, a, that's done as a thriller, right? And there's mm-hmm. a more of a th- what we're trying to do in paprika is this this exploration of who we truly are and who we are or truly are when we're asleep and this idea of like what happens if all of those all of those desires and dreams come to fruition at the same time <laughs> like that's fucking the that's you can write books on that i'm sub- sure they for, have i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure someone has so yeah visually stunning um and I think I, th- I, I, I again I I like it, but I agree with you that this is this is the more difficult one for me to kind of to wrap my head around it. And really, because I want to because I want to ascribe so much to it that isn't there. That isn't there. Right. Right. I mean, and or if it's there, it's just not that
0: well. Explained. Or it's really opaque. Right. Right. And right. this is not this is not to say that this film was Hootie and the blowfish. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, I think it's a little deeper than that. Sure, sure. But at the same time, I think that it, it stops short at really kind of exploring some of these ideas. Yeah, I
2: don't think it's a complete failure by any means. No. I just, I, I just think that his ambition, which, fine, his ambition overshot his ability to tell the story in a 90-minute in a mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you give it another 30 minutes, which I'm never really a proponent of, like, elongating movies, but, I mean, if, in this case, if you had to give it another 30 minutes where we could sit with these people, Afterwards and see how they kind of and they don't all have to wrap up neatly. They don't all have to like have this big self re, um, You know revelation or resolution or you know even growth for that matter But you do need to be able to take a step back and say okay look all that Insanity happened and now you don't know, in the Godzilla movie after he's torn up New York and he goes back into the ocean you, you, you still have a little bit of like time to like kind of decompress and say okay. Well now we got to rebuild, right? <laughs> um, Paprika. Yeah, I don't have much to add on
0: let's um let's recommend some films for people if they liked these films.
2: <laughs> so how did you go into this?
0: So it was kind of a it was kind of a vibes um, recommended, if you like, but I did try to sort of pair up. You know, in some way, a film with a film. Okay, right? so I did try to find you know, some connective tissue between what I was recommending and and the original. But I have no other anime recommendations. Okay, so I did all sort
2: of like you know live action um, narrative films. All right, my well, just so. exact opposite. Excellent. So good. I, I, good. I, I went with the, all of my films are animated, and um, they're all they're not all necessarily kind of same. Eh, yeah, we'll get to it. But they're okay. all all of my films are animated.
0: <clears throat> um, do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Uh, you go ahead. Okay, so um i'm just going to kind of go in order so the the film mm-hmm. actually films that i <laughs> that i picked for perfect blue again this was much more of a vibes thing much more on the idea of imagination and reality and sort of past and present and future kind of merging together i recommend the films of be gone mm-hmm. do you know be gone mm-hmm. I, yeah okay yeah. i i love one One kaylee blues is just incredible and amazing but the one that i really wrote down was long day's journey tonight on mm-hmm. um, the 2018 film which is kind of this like surreal existential detective story he took the title from the roberto bolano mm-hmm. um novel where a man goes looking for a woman from his past like the last hour is this single take 3d shot yeah it's so cool and i saw it at i mean the theater's no longer there but at the Magnolia in Dallas, I think there were two of us in the theater. <laughs> but you know, and I put those 3D glasses on. I was like, "This is amazing." I was just, I'm so taken with this guy's, um, with his movies. And he has a new short that's on movie that's really um, interesting and compelling as well. So, yeah, long day's Journey tonight by Be
2: Gone. All right, cool. My first one is 2004's Mind Game, um, directed by Masaki Yu- Yuasa and Koji Morimoto. Okay. It is another. It's an obviously all mine are animated. It's an animated movie, kind of like Paprika in a sense, but all of the animation styles are wildly different, and even in the movie itself. So it's a, on its surface, it's about this this kind of like perpetual loser who um, gets shot while his girlfriend is being um, raped by this mm. by this hockey player, by this like psychotic hockey player. He's able. He's able. He's able to fight his way out of heaven to come back to earth. And grab his girlfriend and then they end up getting swallowed by a whale and <laughs> then it's it is a 90 some odd minute just complete mindfuck and if you're willing to let yourself go with it It is the craziest shit you'll ever see it's just, it's streaming on Shutter, but it, it is uh, It's really it's I don't know. It's like If you took like slacker, I mean like and, and made it in but like with less of a narrative thread of slacker And you're just watching that in different animated styles throughout the entirety of the movie. It's really really cool.
0: Okay,
1: yeah, right. it's a mind game. Mind
0: game. All
2: right. Um, my next one is The Clouds of Silmeria
0: um, by Olivia Essays, starring Julia Pinoch as an actress who actress who's starring in a revival play that launched her career, but this time she's playing the older woman and not the role she originally embodied. Um, also starring Kristen Stewart. I'm mm-hmm. a big case stew fan, especially <laughs> with Olivia Essays. Yeah, it's good. That's yeah, really, yeah, really good, really good. So,
2: yeah. My next one is uh, 2016's My Entire High School is Sinking into the Sea by (laughs) Bashaw. Have you seen this? No. But I'll have to. (laughs) Um, So he came out with a movie that played at Granberry called Cryptozoo. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I didn't care for Cryptozoo as much as I liked uh, my entire high school. I I didn't dislike Cryptozoo. It just was kind of like left me a little cold. But this Mm -hmm. is basically what you think it is i mean it's it's a it's a earthquake that happens and then the you know the chaos that ensues when a high school starts to sink into the sea it's it's again another kind of visually arresting different animation style than you're used to it's it's um you know it's completely different than what you know what you would expect going into an animated film and it's it's a lot of fun okay
0: okay yeah i mean again i adult animation is not something i seek out um and i you know i'm not opposed to it i just don't and so like anytime you're like oh have you seen that? i'm probably gonna nope <laughs> no. <laughs> okay all right so my my entry for um the tokyo godfathers this one is well these next two actually are are from my childhood oh so you did four I only did three i did four, well then <laughs> listeners get get an, get a bonus from me <laughs> We did four movies. I wanted to do four distinct recommendations. So, again, this one is from my childhood and has like sentimental value. And this is Savannah Smiles.
1: Oh, fucking love <laughs> yes, Savannah Smiles, yes, man! Yes, yes. That's yes.
2: so like. Yes. Okay. I'm so glad you know this film. Yeah. No. Uh, in fact, I when I was doing the um, the the quarantine film fest for kids, it was I, I couldn't get anybody to show up for it because I understand that's a big that's yeah. a big ask, but savannah smiles was going to make my list it was a it was a staple for me man like that me was too like, and like as a kid that was one of the only movies that really like and when i was a young kid made me tear up oh
0: it broke my heart
2: it <laughs> broke every, and i mean i kept watching it i mean
0: because this, this is one like we had dubbed on like you know vhs right, right, right? right yeah and uh oh it just broke my heart like every time and yeah. i would just Continue to watch it, right? <laughs> um, oh, it's so good. It's one of those okay. movies that's
2: kind of lost to time. Like it's not yeah. like it's. I don't think it's probably very easy to find. And, and I like, didn't. I didn't even look because I'm like, I can't watch this. And it's all <laughs>
0: like one. One, I'll hate it, or two, I will just bawl my eyes out, and probably just bawl my eyes out.
2: So. I will say I did watch it. It. Yeah, you're probably best to just use your memory. I'm not, and I'm not saying yeah. it's bad. I'm no, 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 it's no, it's but, it, but it, but the, but as a grown ass man, like the, like a lot of, I mean, it's made for kids. It's, yes. it's intended to be made. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, but it, yeah. Savannah, Smiley. if you've got young kids, Savannah's I don't even, like, I guess I can't really, <laughs> I can't really wholeheartedly endorse it because I don't really know anymore, like what's in it. I mean, it's about two men who,
0: So, so yeah. it's, it's Savannah is is the young daughter and young, right? Like yeah, five, yeah. six. Yeah, yeah. Um, She's the daughter of an only child of an ambitious politician who is much more concerned with running for office than he is about his family. And so she runs away from home and ends up with these two, like, bumbling crooks, right? Right. One has just broken the other one out of jail, Alvy and Boots. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so they end up forming, like, this kind of family, right, that none of them had but they always wanted um, and the uh, authorities assume it's a kidnapping and like, you know, where this all goes, right? right? You know how this ends
2: as she's like screaming their names as she's driving up oh, in the cop car.
0: God. Right. <laughs> and then, and then Alvi has that flashback to his like childhood where he finally catches up to the truck. Right. And with his cousins, <laughs> uh, and I, and there's, there's a line Boots says to Alvi like, I hope they don't tell her that we're bad men. Right. right. And Alvi says she won't care. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah anyway,
2: okay. It's, right. a, it's 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 and it's
0: made to tug heartstrings. Oh, the, and there's a puppy There's a fucking right. puppy with ice cream.
2: The, the, I think that I think the end song is is savannah smiles Like it's a whole it's like talking about you know, well, it's like,
0: it, it's it's smile savannah one
2: more time okay. for me.
0: The song is stuck in my head. I I, I can still I, I will not sing it right but but it is playing in my head right now and it's very much like one of this, like a song, like very much of its time. So, if you think of right, it's very John um,
2: Denver, right? I mean, it's like yeah, very much, yeah. very much,
0: but also if you think of like, um, um, the song from Midnight Cowboy or, um, yes. yeah. Sun uh, Butch and Sundance, um, fucking earworm, yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh,
2: my last one is, or my 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 next one, what's, I don't have another one because it is my last one. Um, <laughs> it's uh, 1981, it's kind of a cheat, but it's 1981's heavy metal. Um, an anthology uh, animated series very influential on a lot of modern day sci-fi it's about an evil orb and this is like i don't it's it's more interesting to watch because of you where you can see its influences than it is and i mean it's it's a movie to get stoned to and, mm-hmm. and, and and do the sound you know blast the soundtrack and just kind of <laughs> let it wash over you but it influenced Luc Besson and, like, I mean, all these other, like, just, you know, um, other directors. And and it's kind of a seminal, um, you know, story. So, yeah, okay. heavy metal. I'm okay. assuming you've never seen heavy metal. uh uh-uh. Yeah. Uh-uh. I mean, I, I, but I
0: have heard of it. Okay. All right. So, if you like paprika, you might like 1984's. Dreamscape. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Dennis Quaid as a man who can enter people's dreams. He's recruited by the government to help the president overcome nightmares about nuclear war, but stumbles onto an assassination plot. So you see, this matches perfectly <laughs> with Paprika. Um, also stars Max, Van, Max von Sidow and Christopher Plummer.
2: Who's the guy from the Warriors that, who's the main bad baddie? I forget. I forget. His I name forget. Too. It.
0: Um, it's like a three name name. Too, yeah, isn't it? Um, but yeah,
2: so, so I had a series So I try to do when I do the Real House Foundation at home film fest. I usually try to do like months of It's the same type of movies and this was I, I showed dreamscape under the month of um, kind of forgotten films because of another film that came out in that same year so this gets totally squashed because of Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, sure. So Nightmare on Elm Street comes out, the whole dream aspect of it all, and then Dreamscape comes out. And Dreamscape doesn't—I don't know what the budget is, but the Dreamscape doesn't look as good now. Obviously, the end scared the shit out of me when I was a kid, well, though. He was
0: like a snake monster, yeah. A snake in, guy, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, it's a good movie. Yeah. I, I really like it. Yeah. Um, it's not a horror film. Quaid's kind of Quaid's in that kind of inner space, um, uh, breaking away kind of like mm-hmm. young, douchey kind of guy thing. So, um, so, very much, right? Right. Just a younger version of James um, Quaid. But it But it's just it's such a cool concept. It's one of those movies that I that like I never really asked for films to be remade, but in this one where you could have like a bigger budget, it could be really cool. Like to yeah. remake Dreamscape and to like kind of put the money behind it and have this idea of us going into people's dreams too. And the, so, the whole idea of the they're going to do this to kill uh to assassinate a pl- did you already say that i'm sorry yeah, okay. so, yeah no yeah. Um, and um so assassinated a political figure um and so they're basically making weaponizing this as, yeah it's it's really really fun but i also
0: love sort of like the cold war paranoia yeah. too right
2: oh i can't stop dreaming about like nuclear war <laughs> right, <laughs> like right, it's, right right so right Right. the dreams are basically all the dreams are hellscapes <laughs> except for one where dennis quaid goes in and 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 uh, uh, has sex with right with with the, with the technician i guess she's not just a technician <laughs> she's a scientist there but yeah
0: yeah but that, that's another one that was a staple of like my oh yeah that was childhood. a
2: hbo mm-hmm. like always on kind of thing but yeah so w- weirdly enough it just it like it really did get squashed by uh, by the um uh and just kind of forgotten because of uh because nightmare on elm street was so popular and mm-hmm. i basically had the same a similar premise obviously so
0: yeah all right well check out those seven films and also <laughs> more importantly check out the films of satoshi khan um again we did not do them justice no but, no no there's there's so But i never to intended to do them justice <laughs> or do anything justice
2: <laughs> those are our hot takes and uh yeah. what was the other thing you said astute observations oh, right, right. Astute but, but i observation. thought that it was probably better to say obtuse observations <laughs> I'm sure someone out there's like yeah very obtuse so next time we're gonna bring back uh Devin Goodman uh, from our Woman King episode. Uh, we had mentioned this earlier in that episode about how she had never seen the Star Wars films. We're going to listen to a newbie's take on and answer questions for episodes four through six and then probably we'll probably delve into prequels and 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 sequel sequels and 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 things and of <laughs> we'll just go. Brock is going to only do the episode in Jar Jar Binks' voice, so stay tuned for that. Um, and okay. then after that, we'll get back into Dwg g yeah. with Undertow and Snow Angels. Snow Angels. Yeah, and I think eventually we're going
0: to take a look at what.
2: Uh, well, yeah, we'll do some do some new movies. We'll probably we'll figure out if we can do a Bo Afraid episode, or if we need to do the whole damn thing as Bo Afraid. I'm keep waiting wow. for it to come yeah. back out for like streaming, so I can watch it. Again. I know because <laughs> I can't I can't talk about it just on one viewing. Um, it's it's. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a few other things. But if you got a suggestion for us to watch, let us know, and uh, maybe we'll throw it in. Yeah, shoot us a line,
0: right? Say hello. Tell us how you're doing. <laughs> right, uh, right, yeah. We will, we will give you free virtual hugs. Other than that, Jason, anything else? And that's all I got. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody.
1: Keep screaming. You've been listening to is the
2: Wilhelm Screen with your hosts Brock and Jason. If you like today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting wideasthewilhelmscream.com. If you are in the DFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at fortworthfilmclub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at realhousefoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L housefoundation.org. Till next time.